UCB Life Issues with Paul Hammond. And a very warm welcome to this week's Life Issues. Now, faith is a very serious business, isn't it? The Bible, it's a very solemn thing. Issues of sin, forgiveness, repentance, worship of an awesome God. And it does have a perception for many people that it's very intense, very worthy, very high and lifted up, very grand. Oh, it's too fancy for me. It's a bit like opera, too fancy. No, opera, dear, not opera. Far too fancy for me. But just because these are big, serious topics, does that mean they have to be grim, miserable, po-faced? I mean, do we really think that a group of 13 blokes on a road trip never had a laugh, never made a joke, never teased each other, never wound each other up? I mean, Jesus did. Even in his stories, he would grab people's attention by using a comedy setup. And if comedy is a great tool to comment on the negatives of society, and comedians often tell us it is, surely comedy and the gospel should go hand in hand. So why do so many people find it hard to imagine that God and his people have a sense of humour? Perhaps it's because we don't understand the power of laughter the depth of comedy, the truth of Proverbs 17, that a joyful heart is good medicine. Life Issues this week is called You're Having a Laugh. And joining me to talk about laughter is Joy Carter, comedian, speaker, actress, writer. Joe Brand says she's so brilliant. The Daily Mail said she's one to watch. It's not often you find Joe Brand and the Daily Mail agreeing, is it? Joycarter.co.uk is her website. And she is joined by James Carey, sitcom writer, author. And according to his website, he starts a brand new one-man show called Water Into Wine, a stand-up theologian, jamescarey.co.uk. So what is the point of a good laugh? What is the danger of a good laugh? What is God's take on humour? I mean, after all, whose gig would he go to at Edinburgh? So James, what is the value of a good laugh? As you were just uh, introducing the segment there, I was just thinking of how Jesus himself jokes. One I discovered recently is when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and there are, he's faced with 5,000 people and he turns to Philip and says, how are we going to feed all these people? And you can imagine the, the colour draining from Philip's face. He's messing with him. Jesus is having a joke with him. And, you know, Philip has no idea what's going to happen next. And I think if we're open to the possibility of the scripture being funny, um, then I think it's uh, I think life uh, becomes a, a little bit easier. But laughter is is really important because, as you said, these things are serious, but we don't need to be serious yes. or take ourselves too seriously. And actually, the people who take themselves very seriously uh, in the New Testament are the baddies. <laughs> They're the people who have a real problem with Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. They hate it when you do that. Um, so we don't want to be in that team. So that's why we need to be on the team that laughs. I, I'm all in favour of being on the team that laughs because laughing is good for us. And Joy, I know that in you've got a, a couple of routines around this, but I know that in one of your routines, you, you point out that actually children are more inclined to laugh than we who are adults. Yeah, it's one of my favourite moment, moments in my stand-up show when I address the audience and I say, there's 50 benefits of laughter. 
let me break some, let me give you some, let me, let me give you some truths to whet your appetite. Children laugh 200 times a day. Adults, 15. The Conservative Party, four. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's actually two. Boris <laughs> Johnson. Yes, and I, I just love it because, oh. you know what? It's a joyous thing to laugh. It's a gift. And, but seriously, I mean, ch- children laughing 200 times mm. a day. As we've grown up, you have to beg, you have to ask yourself, what the heck happened? Do we just get more grumpy? Do we just get on our grumpy slippers and our grumpy trousers as we got older? Well, you know, and 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 it made me realise I have to, I have to make the humour. And, and even if I can't laugh, you know, I mean, there are times when it's difficult to laugh. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of my comments many heroes of all time is are you ready for this abraham lincoln okay now i know i know that that's 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 already lost a few listeners already but apparently during congress during the, the american civil war which saw millions of people dead he had one hour of comedic readings before they even did anything, you know, and they just, and I remember one reading about one of his generals who said, I can't do this. 20,000 people have just died. And he was like, sir, you need this medicine mm. as much as I do. Cause this is a man whose childhood sweetheart died. He'd lost both children, even though they had big families. He knew the importance of joy. Yes. And in the, Congress. You can't imagine, you know, Boris Johnson cracking open the gag, standing in Parliament. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But this was a man, one hour. That's quite a long time. That's like a big gig, isn't it, James? That's a big gig. <laughs> he could have got you to script write it for him, James. The thing is, I wonder if the reason that children are more inclined to laugh and that as adults, you know, unless there are particular jokes told to us that particularly catch our attention, are less inclined I wonder if that is because we just end up taking ourselves too seriously, James. Yeah, and I've, I've got two kids who are 14 and 11, and we laugh a lot. And uh, I'm trying to not let them think that they can't laugh. And I think that's the thing. I think it's kids kids laugh 200 times a day because they don't know they're not meant to. Yes. Um, or at least they haven't believed this adult lie that everything is serious. Uh, and so... And so they just get the giggles, they find things funny, and they are funny, and they see joy in things, which we, um, and they don't have the concerns necessary. I know that obviously there's a lot of uh, child anxiety these days, which is really, really sad and worrying, uh, you know, in, in itself. But actually, little kids, they're not terribly anxious, they're not worried about how they look. And I think that's a real problem within the church is, it's not just what I'm, it's not just I'm worried about upsetting God. I think it's a little bit more, I'm worried what I'm seen laughing at. Because when you laugh and people hear you laugh, you can't take that back. <laughs> so actually True. what you laugh at says a little bit about you. And it may be that people realise that you're not quite as religious <laughs> as you would like people to think that you are. Oh, do you know, I'm just going through all of the list of some of my favourite comics and going, yeah, I kind of get what you mean about that. Because there is a sense that there is good laughter. And I suppose, in truth, there is good laughter and bad laughter. It isn't the joy. I mean, sometimes it, laughter can be a wonderful release in a difficult situation, but sometimes it can be really cruel and, and almost like a weapon. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, and, and a negative weapon. It can be a weapon of 
mass destruction to depression, or it can be a weapon that is going to really harm people. And I think for me, especially in some of the darkest moments, you know, I love the scripture that says in Isaiah 61, the oil of joy for mourning. Now, the thing about oil, you know, if you have it on your hands, I often put it in my hair, it gets everywhere, doesn't it? It rubs off, it's easily slipped onto someone else's um, hand, but it's a greasy thing that is easily, it's easy to just start laughing for no reason, back to when you were talking about children. And it is a gift that God has given us. And I think that, and especially in the church, we have to really claim back the joy, the joy of the Lord, which isn't necessarily based on age, um, money, or where we are in the church or what we've done. It's based on this joy that we have of the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. And I think that for me is 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 God's showing me and challenging me all the time to be, you know, stop going on with my lists of prayers. I have to say, even I'm bored at <laughs> times. God's just saying to me, Joy, chill out. Just calm down and let's just have a chuckle. Let's just watch some cat videos on YouTube. <laughs> Get over yourself. And before you know it, I'm laughing. The problem, that, what problem? Jesus, cash of burns into Jesus. I've moved on. Mm, James. Yeah, I just think the point you made there about comedy having a reputation for being cruel and I've, I've heard this a few times where people have said but we can't really use comedy to co because comedy is cruel to which my response is people are cruel people are the problem can we not pin this on comedy um cars are brilliant but you could drive a car into someone and you could do that deliberately or you can use it to take someone uh, to the emergency room so it, it isn't the thing itself which is the problem it is us sadly uh, we we are the ones uh, who have this wonderful thing, and of course, an, an awful lot of sin is taking a good thing and and misusing it or using it for something that it isn't uh, really to be used for. So, I'm always keen to defend comedy against the accusation of cruelty because people are cruel. It's not comedy is not inherently cruel. Comedy, I think, is inherently delightful. But but well, okay, but doesn't some of the best comedy have a little bit of a sharp edge at it i mean some of the best satire is effectively it's lampooning very often those who are in authority um comedy roasts and and sometimes they backfire like we saw at the oscars but comedy roasts that idea that you can that you will deliberately mock someone in comedy you know it is a comedy that entertains. It's a comedy that appeals. And some of the sharpest practitioners of it have been held up as, as great examples of the art. Yeah, I think the comedy roast thing is a weird one. I find those pretty uncomfortable. I'm not, you know. But I think uh, in terms of satire, obviously comedy is pointing out uh, uncomfortable truths about either things that we live with that are not okay or that the people that we voted for who are in positions of power uh, are misusing that power. So I think comedy can, again, be used as a weapon. And just like a weapon, it can be used to uh, defend uh, the weak um, and uh, promote the good and uh, bring about justice. Or it can be used to um, exploit, humiliate, uh, hurt and wound. So, uh, again, uh, you know, who, who you think is misusing power is, of course, not a universally agreed upon question. But... Um, I think you, your cause can be righteous and you can be satirical, but not everyone's necessarily going to agree with your point of view on that. I agree totally with with with, with James in so much that 
it isn't about who is using and people say to me all the time christian comedy is that as funny as worldly comedy it's just the fact that there, there are the breaks in comedy are at the moment comedy is still the land of the unsaved we haven't got enough christian comics and the diversity of christian comedians to, to really challenge what comedy is in a worldly sense. We just aren't seeing those kind of breakthroughs. I mean, I mean, we love Milton Jones, one of the most successful Christian comics, I think, you know, out there at the moment. And, and you know, OK, he's not necessarily directly talking about um, God, but the way, he, his, where he, where his humor is coming from is beautiful. And that's one thing I love about seeing Christians who are comedians our humour is coming from a place of beauty and of unity and of togetherness and that builds people's up, nourishes people's soul. I mean, I, when I did the comedy store, I was actually told off famously by um, a very well-known, very blue comic for, for not swearing. And um, and he told me off for swearing, for, you know, for not swearing. And it really challenged me because he, even though people were loving what I did, um, and I won those competitions, it wasn't really received to be bookable because I chose not to swear, mm. even though I was signing autographs, people were coming up to me going, we need to see you again. Because and, and the dynamic in the room shifted. It went somewhere beautiful. And people actually want that, but they're just not getting it until we get those breakthroughs, until God opens more doors for comics who, who love him to stand up. That's so interesting. It feels like you switched on a light and people didn't like to see what you had illuminated in that way. And so therefore, I can see why someone was trying to drag you down to their world so that you don't make them look quite so tawdry, uh, even. That's a really interesting experience, Joy. That's fascinating. But just while we're kind of thinking about this sort of the possibility of good laughter, bad laughter, and I mean satire is something i think many of us will appreciate we will see value in and so on but is there a fundamental difference between the the lampooning of of politicians and those who are in power in order to highlight their shortcomings and the lampooning of of other people and whether it be that that joke at the oscars or whether it be some of the the old sort of the comics from the 70s that would use race and so on i mean we would consider those things to be totally unacceptable now, and rightly so. But is there a fundamental difference between satire and comedy that focuses on non-authority figures? It's a good question. I think, I mean, I think Babylon B is a really good example of um, an online comedy uh, forum which makes jokes about about people in power but also christian groups there's a really funny one i still keep going back to about how um i can't remember how they phrased it but it was there was a movement movement sensor in church automatically switches off light in presbyterian church is basically we assume there's no one here because there's no movement so we switch the lights off you know and that's a perfectly really good joke about fairly hands down non-vigorous uh, worship um, so that they, I think they spread it around quite fairly. And I think, again, we, we don't want to take ourselves and our own particular groups too seriously. I'm fairly heavily involved in the Church of England and I'm, I'm aware how mealy-mouthed and preposterous the Church of England uh, can look at various times. So I think being able to take a joke is... Uh, is really important. But what's really funny, when, when in the days when you could find the Babylon Bee on Facebook, it's really interesting how in the comments, people, 
that there's usually, oh, this is really funny, this is really funny. And then one comment will be, I normally find the Babylon Bee really funny, but I don't think this is a suitable for comedy. And you go, ah, they've picked your sacred cow, haven't yes, they? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's good for us. Uh, but obviously, if we repeatedly bash someone with a joke that they find uh, cruel or difficult, that's not a kind thing to do. But a little bit of a poke every now and then is actually a very Jesus-like way of doing things. Jesus pokes people, like he said with Philip. How are you going to feed these people? What are you playing at, Jesus? This is really interesting stuff. So is it the comedian's job, Joy, to entertain or to call to account? I think it's both. It's always been both. It's always been part of the job, right from the Shakespeare clowns who have the ear of the king. And there's, and what I love about comedy is it allows you to explore very difficult subject matter. And saying it comedically is a very, very clever way of saying really important points that you couldn't say or that people would find so heartbreaking um, and powerfully. And when I've done workshops in how to how to engage with what how far you can take something, I always say, if that's your story, like if you're talking about cancer, if that's your story, you have a right to talk about it. Like when I talk about my adoption, you know, the death of my twin sister, I've had some very dark moments in my life. And I I that validates me to talk about it. Whereas if, whereas if you hadn't had that experience, you couldn't really talk about it. And it's quite cathartic and freeing. And it also opens up people to difficult, difficult situations because I can talk about it and that allows them to come in in a, in a safe space and engage with it. And that's one of the roles that I believe all the things that I've gone through in my life, I can talk about the anorexia. I can talk about the self-harm because I've lived it. And it's a lived experience when mixed with comedy that is gold and so, is powerful. So is that the difference then between, you know, this idea of good and bad laughter, this idea between, between cruel and wholesome and comedy? Is that the fundamental difference, James, that actually... If it is your story, because they, I mean, comedians will say, you know, nothing is off the table. We can, we can make comedy out of anything. But actually, in fairness, if you're not going to offend or hurt people who are maybe walking that road, do you have to have walked it before you can make a joke about it? I think there is a context to every joke that it can feel like you're uh, co-opting someone else's experience and, and, and making jokes about it. So I think... You do have to read the room. I don't fully necessarily think that you have to have had experience. So I wrote a, a TV sitcom called Bluestone 4-2 about um, bomb disposal in Afghanistan. I'm not a soldier. I, a member of my family has served in Afghanistan a few times, but I wasn't writing it necessarily for him. It just struck me as a really interesting area in which to set a comedy. Um, but I, I think you do have permission to say certain things and do certain things if you're from a particular uh, ethnic group or, or, or sector of society or situation. You know, it may be that you're a, a young mum and you get to sort of talk about being a young mum, which would just be weird or inappropriate uh, if you were an older dad, uh, for example. It would sound like maybe you're belittling young mums. But that's not to say there isn't a way of doing it and a skilled, a skilled uh, creative person can sometimes take you places you hadn't expected but i think just to return to the the question you're asking joy a moment ago about there's an element of the bringing of the joy in the entertainer and then there's the sort of the satirizing thing um i think if you're a stand-up a christian and you want to be in stand-up comedy or in stand-up comedy you'll probably veer towards one or the other more and i don't and i think maybe christians 
set rather impossible targets on 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 you know Christian comedians that they should be this and this. Mm. And actually, you know, Joy's mentioned Milton Jones, who is just a real ray of sunshine and very very funny. But there's also a you know an angry young man comedian or a satirical uh, lady uh, kind of th there's a space for someone who is really challenging about society and where we are who isn't silly but is actually you know like those great Lenny Bruce kind of type comedians I think there is a role for that and I think there is a prophetic voice to be had there which I think Christians actually would find really troubling and difficult but I think if someone really feels that that is what they've been called to do I would probably endorse them in that and say you're going to get a lot of flack from Christians on this and you might want to maybe take a bit of advice from an older Christian who might be able to help you and make sure you're not needlessly offending people but you will offend people people will take offense and you'll need to deal with it but that's not to say that you were wrong for doing or saying what you were doing you're listening to UCB Life Issues. I'm Paul Hammond. We are talking this week about comedy and laughter and the value and the importance and the danger and the depth of it. My guests are Joy Carter, who's a comedian, speaker, actress, writer. You can find her at joycarter.co.uk. And she has a talk out this year called Understanding the Realms of Joyfulness. You see the play on words with her name there, as well as the career that she is following. You can find out all the details on our website, joycarter.co.uk. Joining Joy is James Carey. He is a sitcom writer, an author, and he also describes himself, and I love this idea, as a stand-up theologian. And his uh, one-man show, Water Into Wine, is going on right the way through the year. Again, you can find details on his website, jamescarey.co.uk. Let's take a moment to think about the importance of laughter then, because although it's good fun, and we all enjoy a good laugh. And let's be honest, sometimes it can be a very cathartic experience in the midst of terrible sadness and black humour can really sort of, gallows humour can really sort of grab us in those sorts of moments and allow us important release. Why is laughter so important, Joy? One of my favourite things that laughter will do is it unites. It unites people. Um, and I have a personal um, story of this, of, of just of, of that connection, where my friend's little um, girl next door, um, this lovely family moved in. They were Turkish. They didn't speak very much English. And her little girl used to come out and just watch me do the gardening. And she spoke no English. So after a while, I thought, I've got to talk to this little girl and try and make her laugh or make, at least make myself laugh. So I told her jokes. And she would laugh, even though she didn't understand any English. So then she would obviously tell, she probably told me something. And then she'd start laughing hilariously. <laughs> then I'd start faking the laughter. Listen, I can fake it when I have to. I have to say that. <laughs> so it was, so then we just decided we were just going to talk to each other and fake it to make it. Because we have, I can't learn Turkish. And I couldn't even say her name, even though her mum kept trying to tell me it was really bad. And so, but, but and then for hours at a time, we're just, talk in our own language and make each other laugh even though we had no idea what we were laughing about or being serious about and her mum would come up and say what are you talking you must speak Turkish I said no I really don't and then I thought this is silly let's sing a song so then I sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star she then she went she was like I know this I know this and she started singing it in Turkish so we then we sang songs in our own languages and then when she had to, when, when the family moved out a few months later, her mum came up to me and said, Joy, 
Her, her daughter told her that I was the best friend she had, the mm. only friend she had. And that's when I realised the importance of humour. It transcends limitations, class, boundary, culture. It unites irrespective of anything because you're reading a person's heart. It's heart coherence, heart intelligence. That's the bone, the oxytocin hormone that's the bond that is unbreakable and you can feel laughter. You can feel a joy with someone, even if you don't understand them. Mm. It's really important, that sense of belonging. And it actually it happens on a really small scale, but also on a big scale. Uh, so, for example, a new generation might have a voice of that generation which really speaks to them and connects with them. And you start basically passing around clips or you hear about a show. You know, back in the day, it would have been Monty Python. And the old people were going, what is this? This is nonsense. And the young people just going, this is totally new. This sounds brilliant. Um, even though Spike Milligan was doing the same stuff in the studio next door. Pretty <laughs> yes. much. Um, for me, for me, I'm 46. You know, I, I was watching TV in the, in the 80s and 90s. But in the 90s, you know, stuff like The Fast Show was really uh, important for me. And it was just a bunch of catchphrases. And again, you know, people on the outside of that were going, but they're just saying the same things every week. But to the people who really uh, get it, it's really bonds you together. And you you go you go into the playground at school repeating last night's comedy because you didn't have a video recorder. This is a way of helping you to remember it uh, back in those days. But so in, in, and it can therefore feel like comedy is therefore excluding. But then there's the other really special type of comedy which really draws everyone in. And I think that's something that as a nation we're, we're yearning for. And holy moly, couldn't we do with the Morecambe and Wise right now? I mean, every Christmas we keep re-watching the, I don't know, the 1973 uh, Andre Previn Christmas special. And um, this was, the you know, this was, I, I believe 30 million people, over <laughs> half of the country of 55 million people were watching Morecambe and Wise yes. on Christmas Day. I, I saw it the first time around, James, let alone the repeats. Uh, yeah, and it just must have felt amazing that we were all doing the same thing and laughing. And we're laughing at the same thing for the same reasons. Um, so that that inclusiveness and that joy. And, and the last thing that's really done that, I suppose, might be Only Fools and Horses, you know, which was this great, amazing show that transcended uh, class um, and, you know, written by John Sullivan. And it just felt like this was a... This was sort of where Britain was at the time and things have moved on again and the new show would, I'm sure, be very different. But, you know, we, we could really do with a good laugh together, couldn't we? But it's it interesting. I don't know where that's going to come from. But it's interesting you pick up on Only Fools and Horses because there was an incredible inclusivity in terms mm. of the characters and the the respect that was given to the different characters. And even though, I mean, some of the characters portrayed people in, in, in well, various experiences of life, including people who, you know, would, would have struggled intellectually, who would have struggled with educational special needs. And I think they, they were all portrayed in there. But there it was a... It was a it was a loving place. It was a, a positive place. It was an inclusive place, and it was a place that you you got the sense that even though some people ended up as the butt of the joke, it was done with respect. And I wonder if that's the importance of good humour. That actually, mm -hmm. at the heart of it, there is warmth and respect and love and a, a desire to to see people better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, and I think that is what I also would love to see more of organically in our churches. God knows we need more laughter in church and we need not to be afraid to just 
to just be who we are. I think comedy, good comedy also allows you to have your identity and to celebrate the, you know, it, the, new, the nuances that we all are. No one's perfect. We've all got odd little bits and things that we all do, which are actually quite funny. Um, and I think that is, um, I, you know, what I'd love to see more in church. You never forget, once I was in a very serious, ironically, talk on joy in our church, right? And it was, it was, I mean, I'm not going to lie. God forgive me, I fell asleep. So sorry. I don't know what the heck happened. I just found myself nodding. I wasn't laughing and I just lost, I just fell asleep. And then I woke up and then this guy said in a very serious voice, I'm now going to read a poem from a very famous Chinese lady um, about humour. So we all, I was dead silent, you know, no one had laughed, no one even smiled for like half an hour. And he read out her name and he said, so we're going to hear from this wonderful lady called Fan Poo. Now, <laughs> at that point, and it, I don't know what to say. I, I lost it. I could, feel, I could feel the tears instantly start coming. What was and it I, you said oh, earlier on, James, about uh, the things that we laugh at perhaps re- reveal? Revealing too much. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was a room divided, and that must have made it even more funny because half the room were literally <laughs> nearly, nearly literally on, in tears, and the other half were going, what's funny? And that I had to leave the room at that point because I knew... I could lose it big time. And, and about four people came with me. And then to make it worse, the guy just carried on the talk, the poem, which was definitely serious. And you could hear people screaming in the toilet. We were screaming for our lives, trying to get it out, trying to think of sad things. You don't try to think of the day the dog died, you try to calm yourself down. That makes it worse because that's not funny. Now you're laughing even more. We were telling terrible stories, trying to calm ourselves down made it worse and it was literally a room divided and you can't explain why that's funny because if you don't get it you don't get it and that to me is is god sometimes he just allows us to have to have joy when we shouldn't because he just likes to see us laugh and in that moment christians really need grace so when somebody gets the giggles you can huff and puff and say this is not appropriate that's just going to make it worse the giggles worse and christians of all people should just say you've got the giggles Okay, you probably need to take a moment. We'll carry on here without you. But the the more serious you make it, the funnier it gets. You're actually making it worse. And it's always a shame to me that Christians really, we do kind of punish each other a bit for, you know, we think really less of people in that situation. You think that really isn't the case. We are people who should be quick to forgive, quick to get it. Okay, I, I get why you're laughing. I personally think your laughing is childish, but I get it take a moment, come back. Um, But yeah, I think so Christians really should know better. Um, But unfortunately, I think we are ever so serious. And this is something I say quite often to church audiences when I'm going through, you know, like my Water into Wine show, I'm talking about amazing stories in the Bible. Um, And just to say, I don't know how we managed to make this boring, but we did it, everyone. Somehow, yeah. we took these incredible stories that are <laughs> cosmically funny and strange yes. and made them boring. How did we do that? Um, but but we did. Well done, everyone. Let me ask you then, is part of the problem that we're, we're not really sure that God has got a sense of humour? I mean, do we think, and I realise, Joy, you contributed to a book on this and I, I've heard James talk around it before, so I do kind of know where this is going to go. I mean, does God... LOL. Is it biblically okay to 
have a silly laugh as well as a good laugh. Well, I just had to dive in with with your brilliant title to your one man show because because you know Jesus's t- first miracle off was turning the water into wine. Now these were people who'd been drinking from nine o'clock. I mean, I gigged. God forgive me at, at this horrendous stag and hen night. Three hundred people drunk in in Bournemouth, and that went down in comedy gold. That that was the night halfway through my comparing set. The police stormed the joint on stage and dragged off the first two rows. I was in fear for my life. I was like, they're going to go for the blacks next. And I was like, ready to run. I mean, I was terrified. And they made me go on. Although they said they won't pay me. But anyway, um, so I know what it's like to, to, to face that kind of people. They're so drunk. But obviously, they were having a wonderful time. Now, these are so for Jesus to turn the water into wine to a bunch of drunkards. Are you mad? I mean, that is just only Jesus would do that. No Christian would probably do that. You, you would just say, you've already had more than enough booze. Let's just get the, let's just get the cordial out. And so that you want to go to bed. Everybody go to bed on their own. Don't coach people to go to bed. Go to bed to your own room, lock the door and repent. That's what we'd all be saying. But I love that. And I, and I believe that that set the tone off for the miracles. And, and for, you know, because it's also about the law first mention, which I also believe in. That was the first miracle he did. And God is saying he, he wants us to rejoice. And he's got rejoicing higher than what we call rejoicing. He is the, the good joy he is the font of joy and that to me sets the tone that there's joy beyond joy and that is what the lord is all about Mm. one of the things about that passage in john chapter 2 jesus turns water into wine i think we're invited to remember isaiah 25 where if we're if we're looking out for some kind of messianic figure um then he's the kind of person that will bring aged wine to a feast there will be a feast and aged wine one of my favorite bits about that idea is the fact that jesus has created the best wine the best wine is aged wine Mm. so it's also a time travel miracle he has instantly created aged wine well how would you do that we'd have to you'd have to be the sort of person that was there in the beginning with god who is outside of time to do that but then Isaiah goes on and says he will swallow up death forever so the person that can um, bring uh, wine, aged wine, is the person who will swallow up death forever. And it's so sort of cosmically and comically amazing. We can hardly even conceive of something so wonderful. It's like we don't really believe that we can have such joy. Um, we have such a hard time uh, perceiving uh, what God has for us. So, you know, we are our own worst enemies, really. Uh, we, we do take a lot of cajoling and, and cheering up, definitely. When we talk about joy and we talk about laughter, one of the things where people struggle sometimes is what we call black humour. It is humour that comes out of a dark situation, a difficult situation, humour that will boost the morale of people that are struggling. So you, you get people who work in, people work in the emergency services and sometimes the jokes that they will make for people outside of that community, they are so disrespectful. They are so unacceptable. I, You know, you work with, as, as I do, you work with presenters, you work with journalists who are confronted with the reality of the world in, in all its graphic detail. And sometimes the way that their humour responds to that, you kind of think outside of this context, nobody would get that. How important is it for us to find laughter in the sad times 
James? Well, I wrote, as I mentioned earlier, this sitcom called Bluestone 4-2, and th th there is just there is a black humour that goes on in soldier between soldiers when they're on the front line. If you're in a forward operating base, surrounded by people hiding in the shadows who ha who have turned up to kill you, and will plant bombs beside roads um, that will uh, that will hopefully destroy you and your friends. Uh, th there's a you know there's a collegiality, there is a comradeship, there is a closeness that is that is actually wonderful and although the show is very very troubling in many ways and there's some terrible language because soldiers speak like that and that's i wanted to be truthful about that my wife still says it's it's such a warm show because they they ha they're, they're looking out for each other even though they're really really mean to each other as well and they just express each other in this sort of emotionally repressed soldiery kind of a way and they sort of you know punch each other for fun um and argue over who's got the coolest pistol and that kind of stuff um you know and, and i think we were worried about causing offense you know the, the the show eventually was signed off for production by the director general himself uh because they were worried about this because it was an actively ongoing war situation mm when we broadcast the show but actually we had many many people get in contact with us to say thank you for doing that show um i served in afghanistan and now my family can see what it was actually like and why i wanted to go and why i'm glad i went um others would find it troubling and difficult and that is completely understandable so there is a con so some people aren't ready to watch it and that is completely understandable so in that medical context you mentioned, the jokes that are between surgeons, between doctors, between nurses, they're not really suitable to be said to people outside of that world. And I think that's probably OK. Um, but that doesn't mean that they cannot say it to anyone ever. Of course, if there's something really cruel there and, and disrespectful, then maybe they want to have a they want to want to check that. But I think there is always a context for these things. And you just never quite know how someone would react. And you say, we, we knew people who lost friends and family in Afghanistan who were pleased that we showed what it was actually like to be out there. And actually they found it cathartic. Others would have reacted a different way. You just can't tell. And I think second guessing everything is a bit of a fool's errand. So occasionally you need to put your hand up and say, I got it wrong, I misread the room. Other times, people were glad that you said something. I'm sure Joy's had that experience of going mm. in a live gig and saying stuff, and you're thinking this could really go either way, and you just get this whoosh of relief and emotion from the audience. And occasionally, you just get the same sort of material, just get say frosty, not cool moments, you know. And then the police burst in. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is that sense of catharsis, isn't it, Joy? That actually humor laughter good comedy really can tap into some of the most painful seasons of a society a community's life and and give the opportunity to to step back from the pain and maybe redefine how we relate to that pain yeah and i think it's very organic um you know i love the script the scripture that says sorrow may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I was once praying about that, and the Lord said to me that technically morning starts at one minute past midnight. That's morning, and it's still dark. 
So it might not actually get light until what six, six or seven in the morning, some 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 winter mornings, or even later, eight o'clock some winter mornings. So there's but there's a joy when it's still dark. It it you might not even make the night, but there is a joy. And that's what that's one of the things that kept me going when I was going through all the difficulties when I've been bullied at school or the dark days I've had from race, you know, when I've been racially attacked and all the rest of it. It's it's finding finding the joy when it's tough. And I, I think most recently for me, or one of the biggest times when that was really challenged was when my Achilles tendon snapped, it ruptured in a dance class and I when I couldn't walk for two years and I was sitting in my flat with my leg up and I said okay Lord you've got to make me laugh and that's when the Lord said to me because obviously there's times when you just and listen I'm a comic I can always make fine humor but my body was in so much pain and I was so devastated by being told I might never walk again God just said what's your favorite who's your favorite comic of all time and I said Charlie Chaplin and the Lord had me watch every <laughs> single black and white Charlie Chaplin movie and clip on YouTube and I was howling mm. the time it was chased out of pub by a horse I mean cl- you know classic moments like that and I and I realized that, 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 that God will give us joy he's got to sometimes tell you how to laugh because you just can't find it and 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 another time he explained to me like you know when it's dark at night you look into the darkness and you can't see anything but if you close your eyes you you're, you're, you the receptors in your eyes will naturally make the darkness blue you can try it yourself at home and that's the power of darkness that's the power of our eyes we can actually see light in the dark if we look hard enough please don't do that if you're driving and listening to the show um <laughs> Just want to point that out as a safety announcement. Yeah, we'll see absolutely. Dark no, no, does not constitute medical or driving advice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But you know what I mean. You we know, do. I mean. maybe you don't. But it, it's true. It really does happen. Like, it's amazing that piece of research. But yeah, I mean, and then when I was reading around it, I also found this lovely quote from a Holocaust survivor, um, Emil Backenheim, who said, "We kept on a row." through humor mm-hmm. and there's so many times when i'm like, this is this is this is ho- horror on levels we cannot impossibly begin to imagine when when the slaughter levels are so great and everyone knows that you've got to find the joy and yes it may be you know it's just, it's just about letting yourself remember and say what needs to be said but through humor and that is the only if that's the only food you've got you will take it and is part of the problem often for us within the context of faith, James? Because, I mean, you have looked at this and talked about this a lot in terms of how we respond to faith, to the biblical message, how we have taken the the joy of the Bible and, as you say, managed to make it somehow boring in so many contexts. Is part of the problem that we don't value humor we don't value its power we don't value its depth and so we think it is somehow disrespectful to that which is important yeah definitely i mean i think the way we yeah laughter in church just sort of seemed inappropriate so i do you know i do gigs in churches and a friend a friend of ours paul carenza uh, he does a lot of gigs in churches and he spends the first five minutes trying to give the audience permission to laugh. 
you know it's like it's okay to laugh in here um and you, you know you're not expecting to laugh when you go into a church and i think that's fair enough we're not we're not going to church uh for laughs but on a thursday night friday night you assemble in a church where you would normally meet for worship um then then that does take a little bit of, of you know and the artwork isn't really telling you to laugh and, <laughs> and, and, and you know so but on a sunday morning as well um i think laughter is can be appropriate especially when when God's word is read, and I think one of my little hobby horses is our public reading of scripture is not good. Uh, we spend a lot of time and money on music and making the music good. And we wouldn't dream of having completely unskilled musicians uh, lead us in our worship. Although some listeners might be thinking, you haven't been to my church. <laughs> <laughs> but as a rule of thumb, there is a fairly heavy, uh, sort of high level of expectation in music. But when it comes to reading scripture, then it's, it's mostly sight read. Uh, it's mostly read poorly. And actually, when you hear scripture read well, yes, uh, really well by yeah. someone who's prepared it, an actor who's prepared it, the most surprising thing about it is often how funny it is, mm. especially if you read quite a lot of it, because then you start to hear repetitions. You start to hear themes emerging. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to get a bit of scripture, here's a chunk and now some dude's going to explain it for half an hour. That's like, okay, well, it would be better if we gave the guy 20 minutes and we spent 15 minutes reading a huge long section of scripture, but just did it really well. But, you know, I can't see that catching on anytime soon, which is a shame because God's word is not just, you know, fascinating and wonderful It's and inerrant. It's powerful. You know, you're not firing blanks when you're, when you're reading scripture you know god's spirit is at work so it would be great if we could work with the spirit uh there and i think laughter is one of those byproducts you know not every time not everything in the bible's funny i'm not not arguing that that is but there is more humor there uh, than you might expect but there's something about comedy which is intimacy you don't tend to joke with strangers and but when you know someone really well you do have permission to laugh and it may be that we're particularly nervous about laughter in our current society because we're all strangers from each other we all live uh, in isolation in our homes we don't really live in communities we don't see our friends at church very often um but you know that's that's a whole beginning of a conversation for another time i think you're absolutely right the truth is there are times we need to have a laugh there are times we need to find something funny there are times we need to have a joke. Sometimes those prompts are because things are so dark and we need to find the light in the darkness. Sometimes it's because it binds us together and brings us into that intimacy. Sometimes it's just because, hey, every now and again, you need to let rip and just howl with laughter. And the truth is, very few of us have problems watching our favourite comedy shows and howling at the television. Very few of us have problems with the idea of going to a gig. We might choose our comedian very carefully and finding them really funny. It's also the case that very often we don't have a problem with accepting that the language might be a bit ribald or the worldview might be a bit different to ours in order to find the comedy in it. And yet, put us in church, put us in the context of faith, and suddenly... It all becomes very serious. I'm not suggesting that the Bible's a joke a minute, and I'm not suggesting that church should be a joke a minute either. But if God has created us 
to value humor, to experience humor, to celebrate humor, then surely we should be able to do that within the reality and the context of faith as well. My guest today for Life Issues, Joy Carter, comedian, speaker, actress, writer. Find her on her website, joycarter.co.uk. And James Carey, sitcom writer and stand-up theologian, jamescarey.co.uk. Guys, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. I'm Paul Hammond. We'll have another Life Issues for you next time. Ta-da. Ta-da.